Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. To speak truth without charity is just cruel, right? Like, so if we're going to, you know, if a student is gay or dealing with transgender issues, say this is wrong or this is a sin or whatever language you want to use, right? Yeah. And, and, and not do it with charity. Well, that's just, that's just, that's completely and totally unchristian, right? Yeah. It's, it lacks love. It's just cruel. And then she flips it and she says, but however, right? But to speak with charity without truth is a lie. How do we love all of God's people without judging them, while also not acquiescing to aspects of the worldly teaching that run counter to church teaching? I asked the director of a successful Southern California Catholic high school on Almost Good Catholics. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Odinitz, and I will be asking interesting people who've thought about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this format, in relationship and dialogue and back and forth, may help us approach the truth and have a really good time doing it. If you want to take the conversation a step further, I invite you to please email me at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Rich Meyer is president of J. Sarah Catholic High School in San Juan Capistrano in Southern California. He's held that post since 2012, so about 10 years now. He started as an English teacher in Spain, and then he taught Spanish and English in Illinois, and then he was headmaster of, at Northridge Preparatory School in Niles, Illinois. He has served on a number of nonprofit boards and is currently the board chairman for the Duke in Altum Schools Collaborative. He and his wife, Anne, have eight children, all of whom have graduated from J. Sarah or are in the J. Sarah pipeline as current or future students. Welcome, Rich. Thank you, Chris. My pleasure. Do you have a funny joke or funny story to share? Yeah, I, I, I suppose you don't work in education for 20 plus years and I guess not have a few amusing stories that that, that come up along the way. Um, so maybe not a, a joke that begins with a priest, a rabbi and an imam, but but um, <laughs> I will but I will share with you a <laughs> when um, when I was back in Chicago, I was running, a, as you mentioned, I was running an all boys uh, college prep school and I got a call um, one morning from our uh, the head of our sister school, the all girls school on the other side of town. And she called me and she said, hey, Rich, um, we're having a bit of a parking challenge this morning uh, with morning drop off uh, with all the parents and the girls. And 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 I said, OK, well, OK. Um, and I'm thinking, how the heck does this involve me and why are you calling me? And she proceeded to tell me that um, that somehow, some way, magically in the middle of the night, a about a six foot high brick wall had been erected blocking oh, no. <laughs> the parking lot and the entrance to their only parking lot. And she had the sneaking suspicion that may have been some, I don't know, boys from the other <laughs> side of town, if you will. And she called me wanting, wanting some Intel. 
That's so great. I, so I brought all the all the senior boys into our, our gym and, and had a conversation and asked them some questions and and they sort of sheepishly aren't making eye contact with you and and have been around teenagers for a long time. Um, a lack of eye contact often often is uh, is a direct uh, symptom of of truth um, or the ability to uh, inability to admit truth. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so, you know, they basically all but confessed with their body language. And I said, okay, guys, on the record, I cannot condone what you just did. But off the record, this was a brilliant, brilliant prank. Uh, <laughs> and so I just said, hey, all we got to do is we just got to make this right. So whatever it's going to take, I need you guys to go and and just make this right by 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 the girls' school. And there's another story, and maybe if there's another point in the podcast, I can share with you uh, follow-up. Follow-up number two uh, to, to that initial prank that revolved them uh, making proper restitution, but not without uh, getting an additional prank in. Uh, but All right. We'll, we'll that was, have, my, that's my story. That's a good story. And I, I don't imagine you have a wrecking ball sitting in the gym. Just Correct. In case. Yeah. Correct. All right. Well, we'll find out before the end, I hope. All right. Sounds good. We'll leave our listeners hanging. Exactly. So, okay, you were in Spain. I'm a, I'm a historian of early modern Spain and especially the 16th century. So I love to go to that place, my, one of my favorite places in the world. Where were you in Spain? So we lived in, so we lived in a town that probably many people haven't heard of called Jaén with a J, mm-hmm. and it's it's in southern Spain, a region um, known as Andalusia. People have maybe heard of in the states Andalusian horses. Uh, Andalusia, as they say in Spanish, is a sort of a, one of the regions in Spain that is when you think about iconic Spanish culture, you think about flamenco dancing or sevillanas and bullfighting and you know great wine. All of that sort of is in the that that southern region of Spain has a lot of Moorish influence. Um, even the name Andalusia comes from a form uh, a Moorish uh, a Moorish prince. Um, mm-hmm. But I, but I taught over yeah um, we lived overseas early in our marriage and I taught English at a at obviously a Spanish speaking uh, private school uh, and yeah just had a really really great experience and that that actually was really impacted the entire trajectory of my life unbeknownst to me at the time. Um, from, you know, just looking to do something interesting for a year while we still had a fair amount of flexibility when we were young and, and our right. oldest was only one year old at the time. Right. Uh, but, you know, that's that's set our whole life on a, on a trajectory that's been super, super interesting. So, yeah, beautiful city, city on a hill. I've never been there. You know, I've been to Seville a couple of times, but I've never been to um, high end. So fun, fun fact about high end, Chris, yeah. is that it's the world's Per capita, it's the world form, world's foremost olive-growing region. Yes. So people think of Italy as, oh, this is what, but the Jaén, Spain, the province of Jaén, uh, produces the most olive per, uh, olives per capita in the world. Uh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Great. Okay, so you work on you run, uh, J. Serra, which I imagine is named for Junipero Serra. Correct. Right? And uh, tell us what, tell us about your school. Uh, if you look at the website, I'll put the link, of course, it's gorgeous it's a beautiful beautiful website beautiful school beautiful uh buildings and football fields and uh it's uh it looks exciting tell us about the school how many kids are there how much does it cost to go what do the kids get there what's it when did it was it started that sort of thing um, yeah so the school was chris the school was founded uh in in 2003 so this september will be will mark our, our 20th year um, we at present um, are really blessed to be in a in in what we would define as sort of our capacity enrollment uh, um, capacity enrollment at the school where we have uh, we're right about thirteen hundred students. Um, I like to say I think the sweet spot for our school is twelve hundred and fifty to thirteen hundred students, and 
and over the last few years in particular, we've we've been really, really blessed with um, a lot of demand for mm. what I like to call sort of our formational offerings for young men and young women on our campus. I think that's it's, it's becoming more and more attractive to a lot of families for a lot of different reasons. Um, and but what, what's interesting about the school, Chris, is that we're also a in terms of being a Catholic school, we're also an independent Catholic school. And so, so what does that mean? We're, so we're not owned or run by the diocese of, in our case, the diocese of orange. Um, um, although we operate with the blessing of, of the Bishop and right. We, we can only call ourselves a Catholic school by the blessing of the Bishop. So mm-hmm. we're not, we're not rogue, um, <laughs> or doing something unauthorized or unapproved, but that just means for us, we, you know, we have a self-governing board of directors and it provides the school an opportunity to be really nimble and really autonomous while at the same time also being faithful to the Bishop here, um, in our diocese. And it looks like you have a lot of clergy or at least a few clergy. Are they Dominican brothers and sisters and friars? Yeah. So we, we have, so we have, we have two religious orders that that are that are, I think really instrumental in our school's culture, Chris. Um, since our founding, uh, the Norbertines, uh, which is oh. a beautiful a beautiful group of of religious here in Southern California, um, and a, m- many many of your listeners may have heard of the Norbertine priests, but they're out of St. Michael's Abbey here in Silverado yes. Canyon. Um, so they've been with us since day one. So they provide chaplaincy services to the school. So they'll celebrate our daily masses that we have on campus. They'll celebrate our all-school weekly mass. Um, they'll be available for confessions um, on a quarterly basis for all of our students. Um, they'll help out from time to time in retreats. And then we also have our um, four Dominican sisters um, from Mary Mother of the Eucharist out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, that we were blessed to have them join our school community uh, about four years ago. So we have four full-time uh, sisters who teach in different departments on campus for us, too. Yeah, I had a really nice interview with uh, a fellow named Father Joe Horn, who's at that Norbertine uh, Abbey. Mm, in sure. Yeah, I think Father Father Joe's been out on our campus uh, a, a couple of different occasions, too. Yeah. Did you guys stay open during the pandemic? We did. Yeah, we did. Um, no, for that alone, I think you're probably going to be very popular. Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, talking about ex- sort of an acceleration to with um, with demand for the school, I, I like to say that I think the school's uh, flywheel was spinning pretty well prior to COVID. But I think our response to COVID, and that also t- you know, it ties back to the blessing of being an independent Catholic school in the time, like, like we were in a spot where we um, had to... You know, for example, if you're in a public school district and you saw public schools think through this all over, try to work their way through these challenges all over the country, is that you're not also dealing with just one school or one school community. You're dealing with many, a a multitude of school and school communities. And and how do you have a blanket response to something that needed a very particular touch, um, depending on the unique situations of the school and the family and the students and the staff? So being in this independent school model, um, I think particularly in moments of great challenge or crisis or opportunity to spin it positively, um, really, really has benefited us, you know, since the day of our founding to, you know, here we are almost 20 years later. How much does it cost to go to the school? So our tuition for next year is right around $22,000. Okay. That's not crazy. (laughs) Well, it's funny you say that. It's funny you say that, Chris, because, um, it's it's interesting. Things are all relative. So if you yeah. if you were to take Jay Sarah and pick it up and plop it on the East Coast somewhere in DC or New York or Boston, I mean this hands I mean this would easily be a forty or fifty thousand dollar education. And the cost of living here, at least in Southern California and Orange County, isn't all that much different um, than in some of the cities that you'd see on the East Coast. Um, but that being said, 
for whatever reason, and, and I'm, I'm from Chicago, so coming out here about 10 years ago really struck me that the, the, the cost of education for a place like J. Sarah was similar to this cost of education that, that we were um, charging families at, this, at the smaller all-boys school that I was a part of back in mm-hmm. Chicago, too, but on a much, much more massive scale. Um, but yeah, we're, but that's, that's about where we are, about $22,000, $23,000. And who are the kids who go there? How many are Catholic? What is the faith formation like? How much time are they in religious formation? How often do they go to mass? That sort of thing. Sure. So about, a, a, I would say about just shy of 60% or so of our students are Catholic, um, which sometimes surprises people, Chris, when you, when you look at the school from the outside looking in and you see, you know, the, the, and I'll go, go into this and in detail in a little bit, but the, the different kinds of things that we offer um, as a Catholic school, whether it is our Dominican sisters on campus or all school weekly mass or our theology program, et cetera, people are surprised to see that the percentage of our student population that that, that find themselves as Catholics is, is just hovers around 60% or just shy of that number. Um, I, I like to say that we're, what, what JSER is striving to do is to present an image of of the importance of faith formation in the lives of young people, in the lives of family, in the, in the way that it impacts family culture, in a way that's attractive to all people who are seeking a relationship with God. And, and clearly we do that through the lens and the beauty of our Catholic faith, um, but we're open up families who are honestly seeking that sort of experience regardless of their faith background. Um, I like to tell one of the lines that I'll sometimes use when we're at an open house or we're talking to a group of prospective families is, you know, J. Sir could certainly be a place for you and your family and your son or your daughter if, uh, if you find yourself really placing an emphasis on, on going to church on the weekend. And it's a central part of your family's culture. And, and it's one of the most important priorities that you set in, with your sons and your daughters and, and your, your family, your general family culture, right? And, but then I'll quickly follow that up and I'll say, and also maybe the place if you find yourself feeling guilty that you like it to be more a part of your family culture and it's not. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I say it with a smile, you know, and the idea that there's something inside you as a parent that is saying, gosh, there's there's something that I want more. I just don't know what to do or how to access it or how to move into this space with my family or even my own relationship with yeah. God. I'll kind of do a subtle nod and say this could be the place for you, too. Yeah. Right? For those who may be seeking. No, right. I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think sometimes the best way forward is just one step, just one mm-hmm. step. Right, and so you, you, so when you ask about the demographics, um, I, I think that I think that's one thing that's really unique to our culture is that despite the fact that we're, we're not sitting here with total homogeneity with our with our family demographic in terms of their approach to the faith, um, but at the same time that doesn't diminish or I would say dilute our efforts to present what we believe is the richness of our Catholic faith. Um, with a tremendous amount of joy and unapologetically. Yeah. So, so, yeah, what do we do? What do we have? I mean, we, you know, we, we have our pretty unique to us as a school, Chris. We have um, an all-school weekly mass on campus. And when you think of that as a Catholic school, you say, oh, well, that seems normal. Um, and that may be oftentimes normal, maybe in a K-8 through setting, but in a high school setting with the school of our size of roughly 1,200, 1,300 students, um, it's pretty rare to find a school that that takes 
an hour and 20 minutes or so by the time you move all of the students from classrooms across the across the North Pavilion and back. Um, it's about an hour and 20 minutes or so, but that we every week we dedicate our, our Wednesday in the middle of the day on Wednesday to, to, to come together as a school community and and really joining together in 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 worship of our Lord and in gratitude and in the celebration of the of, of the Mass and it's been a real it's been a real blessing for the school. I mean, we've done that since the day the school the doors of the school opened twenty years ago. And I think I always point to that as as I think a source of the school's blessings and success that the school's really made every effort to make, be faithful to one that dimension of our founding charism. That's lovely. That's that's wonderful. And the other forty percent of the kids, would you guess they're other Christian denominations, or are they? Um... Yeah, the the vast majority certainly would be. If you ask them, I'm sure in in our in our admissions data would say that it would be of some sort of Christian denomination or non denomination, if you will, would identify themselves as 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 Christian, um, regardless of their ch- church affiliation or lack of church yeah. affiliation. Um, you know, do we have students? On campus, who who may be of a, of, of a religion other than Christianity, sure, but the, but they're certainly in the distinct minority. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but again, we're those, but we don't wouldn't outright deny a student um, who wasn't Christian either, right? Yeah, no, I, I like that very much. Yeah. Um, so, how does uh, J. Sarah form the whole student? How do how do you teach young people about what's really important? Obviously, you go to mass every week, but sure. uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's certainly more. And if 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 the folks who who listen to this and Chris, you and I are both parents with with uh, with multiple children, so you know that. Well, you you don't form people just by going to mass once a week, right? Um, it's 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 a conversion of the heart, but it's also a, at least when you're dealing with high school students. Uh, my my experience has been with my own children and being a high school teacher and, and high school leader now for a number of years. It's also it's also helping to them to it's also cultivating their their own use of freedom and helping them to understand that listen faith isn't something that's an obligation right? this is what we're trying to do here at jcr is is present the faith in such a beautiful joyful manner and invite you to participate in that that this becomes your decision to accept that invitation um, not that it's foisted upon you and you have to because uh, as, you know, as we know, God, God gave us our own free will and he's not obliging us to love him. And in the same ways, when we think about forming young men and women, it's it, we're particularly the adolescent at the high school age of called 14 to 18. I think how you can respect students' freedom and make this an invitation and not an obligation is really sets sets a young man or young woman up for what we would hope a lifetime of making good decisions even if in the moment of being a teenager they may or may not answer the call right mm-hmm. they may, or may not say i'm going to go on a retreat or i'm gonna, but we're yeah. hoping we're planting seeds so that as they continue to mature that they have this this foundational soil or bedrock yes. that may come alive and may flourish at some point way after we would see the fruits of it at j sarah um and that takes a bit of a leap of faith, right, Chris? Mm-hmm. You know, you could, you could make everybody do certain things. And in our case, for example, a retreat program, which is very vibrant, um, but is also voluntary. And you know, sometimes our parents ask, "Well, I, I want my son or my daughter to go, but they don't want to go, and I think you should make them." Mm-hmm. I always say, "Well, we could do that. And that's that's a, that's an option." Uh, but that would fundamentally change the the tenor and tone of the retreats of students who are seeking this out voluntarily on their own versus forcing everyone to have an experience. Um, so, so that's it's it's a, it's a tricky balance, right? Yeah. It, not just as parents, but also running schools to figure out where do you, you know, where do you find, you know, where do you find those places and spaces to give students um, some choice and agency 
in in their respective faith journey. No, that's uh, absolutely right. And as much as I'd like to force my kids to do things, it's much easier to just invite them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my, my wife has said to me very wisely a few times that they're kind of like by the time they're in high school, they're kind of the people they are. Your, mm-hmm. your, work, your work is done. And uh, yeah, we, we like to say they're, they're, they're really adults in everything but experience. Right? Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, I mean, the, there, there's still things to do just as, as us as adults. We have you know, we have our own defects and efforts to grow in virtue, I hope, and holiness that we're all striving for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that ever stops. But um, yeah, but in the high school setting, I mean, there are things that aren't that aren't optional. For example, all of our students um, take theology all, all four, all eight semesters uh, or all four years of their of their journey through high school. So, you know, there are certain dimensions of being in a Catholic school for us that that it's you, you can't choose not to not right. to receive um, formation throughout theology classes, but what students do with that and how they embrace that and accept that, well, that's, you know, that's, that's on them, right? With yeah. their free will. No, that's really cool. And, and, and the kid who doesn't want to take theology, well, you got to take chemistry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here you are, you're going to take theology. Or, or Chris, that also speaks to the fact that at J. Sarah, we're also not all things to all people. And and I think that's also what's attractive for us too is that we can present our faith joyfully, um, and without but without pulling any punches. And and always I always tell families there are a lot of there are a lot of schools that if if you're uncomfortable with your son or your daughter always taking theology or it being taught from a Catholic perspective, then right there are, there are plenty of other schools to look at. But that doesn't change our approach to how we deliver our, our formative experience for students. Yeah, no, that that's a beautiful thing, and I think. Uh, um, it's better for us to be our true selves and for there to be many flavors rather than everybody trying to be the same watered down version of the same thing. So, yeah. um, um, okay. I listened a bit to your school podcast called plugged in and I listened mm. to the entire episode with uh, sister Maria Catherine, who was, um, just a delight. And I listened to most of the episode with Dr. Leonard Sachs and his mm-hmm. daughter, Sarah, and she seemed like just a really great kid. And she also did not have a cell phone. And now my oldest who's 13 just got a phone, um, mostly to chat with her friends and coordinate their plans. And she really uses it as a phone. There's no social media and stuff like that. Um, although she can do Wordle on it. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I, in my own high school classroom, because I, I teach high school as well, kids have phones and I make them put it put their phones away into this hanging pocket device at the front of the room for the duration of the lesson. And that works fine. But I see many of my colleagues seem to kind of tolerate the constant distraction. And I see a number of my fellow parents, though certainly not all, not by a long shot, they seem to um, be okay with their kids going on social media and all that. What's your philosophy, both you as an individual and a father mm-hmm. and you as a, you plural as the school, how do you sure. have uh, telephones and media in the 21st century? Oh boy. Yeah. This could be a, this could be a whole separate podcast probably. <laughs> right. But uh, I'm sure there are all over, all over the internet waves yeah. uh, with this discussion, but I, but I'll, so I'll try to be brief. And if, if you want to have me unpack some of these things, uh, we, we can, we can go a little bit further, but mm-hmm. at the school, this was a while back, Chris, probably about six, seven years ago, we established a, just a no self policy on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by that, there's a certain level of realism that's blended into our policy. So we're not, uh, we're, we're not so naive to think that students aren't going to have cell phones in their backpacks or even in their pockets. But what we've said at the school is that from the morning bell 
until the last afternoon bell that cell phones aren't to be seen on campus. That means they're not to be seen at lunch. They're not to be seen in the morning break. They're not to be seen while you're passing through the hallways. In fact, just this morning as I was leaving our, our school's morning mass and I was walking through our quad, um, a student, a student was, was, he was by himself. Was, he must have been going from point A to point B. I don't know if he came to school late or whatever, but he was walking through the quad, had a cell phone on. I passed by him and I just kind of stretched out my hand and he looked at me with sort of a, ah. Yeah, it just I took it and I dropped it off in the dean's office on the way uh, on the way back to my office. Um, so that's our you know that's our schools that's our school's philosophy and, and approach. I will say it's challenging. Mm-hmm. Right? It's it's very very challenging. I mean, it's not to suggest that students don't you know go into the bathroom or um, or or you know surreptitiously in the classroom aren't, aren't pulling out a cell phone. Uh, you know, um, but our but our stated goal is to have a cell phone free campus from the first bell to the last bell. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I think, has been re- incredibly additive to the interpersonal dimensions of our school culture. Yeah. So that when 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 students are are with each other, I, my line that I always use, and maybe this will, I can offer my, my personal opinion with this as a segue, is I always just say, "Well, be where you are. Right? You're, yeah. You're right here. Right? You're talking to me. We'll be here, right here, talking to me. Then, um, in our home, in our family environment." When when uh, when we'll be together, and if one of my uh, teenagers will pull out a cell phone, um, I, my, the first question now it's a running joke in the family. Uh, I'll always ask, "It's like, hey, has anybody seen Emily? She's standing right there. Anybody seen Emily around? Anybody yeah. seen her, Dad? Dad? Yeah. Uh, her body is there, but Emily's in cyberspace. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, so, um, so I, from a family perspective, it's interesting though, Chris, cause it's, it's our, our approach to this has evolved over time. Um, we have, you mentioned that at the outside of the show, we have, we have eight children, our oldest is 25 and our little guy is seven. And for our older, our older teens who've now graduated and are out of college, they actually, they didn't get a cell phone until they were seniors in high school. Mm-hmm. And, and when that happened, it was just a flip phone. And an analog flip phone for to have conversations, and and if they needed a text, that that was it. Yeah. Um, by the time Meyer number four came up uh, through the pipeline at J. Sarah, and he just graduated last year, really by the time he was a sophomore junior, it became really challenging, purely from a practical perspective, for mm-hmm. him not to have a cell not to have a cell phone that enabled him to be part of group chats. Um, Checks check homework online uh, with with teachers that were posting it on the school's web portal. Um, you know, he was involved in some leadership opportunities at the school, and, and we really try to push a square peg into a round hole and sort of keep him with the uh, sort of the analog flip phone concept that we did with his older siblings. Um, but yeah, I really saw it being a challenge for him just to function as a high school student in the twenty first century mm-hmm. uh, without. A device. So we, with him, um, and now with our succeeding uh, children too, we've given them a a cell phone, not a flip phone, but what we would just define as a smartphone um, when they entered into high school. But that's just required us to be incredibly vigilant as parents. So we install, uh, we use a program called Custodio with a Q um, on all of our kids' devices when they're in high school. you know, and we, we, they, they're not allowed to have social media on their devices. Um, and, but they can use it f- for, you know, group chatting, uh, use it as a camera. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, build their bevy of contacts in a phone that links to their Gmail account. I mean, so it does, it just, it gives them some flexibility, but what we're trying to do is help train them to use the phone responsibly. And yeah. if there's an app that they need, then we have a conversation about that. Um, 
to be frank with you, Chris, it's not perfect. Frankly, I, I love the era when my older kids just had a flip phone and it was really simple. I feel like mm-hmm. I've, I've not just running Jay Sarah and a husband of and of a husband to a beautiful wife and a father of eight children, but I'm also the chief technology officer for a small firm um, in my house as well. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, to be honest with you, it's a real pain and you can see why parents don't even deal with it because it, it requires a lot of effort. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, I think, it, at the end, I think it's important. It's worth it. Yeah, I, I, I totally, I totally agree. And I think you are, you know, walking that razor's edge where yeah. you are allowing the kids to participate in their world without being cut off, but you're also, you know, being, being their guardian and shepherd and all. Right. We, yeah. we just simply say like all phones have to stay in the kitchen. <laughs> so no. I, I just leave, I don't, I forget my phone. I'm not really into it that much. So I just plug it in, in the kitchen. But for my daughter, if she wants to text with her friends late at night, she has to sit at the kitchen table and she can do it. And you know, she's at this point, she's going to stay up later than I am because I'm tired, but a hundred percent. Yeah. You know, yeah. She, and it's us when I was a kid, I would stay up late talking with, with friends late at night. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. remember those, remember those like, um, those cords, those little coiled cords, you would play with it with your, you know, that was plugged into the, where the receiver plugged into the to the phone. And like for for kids today, we say like when I was your age, the phone was in a place. You had to go to the phone. Yeah, or you, you, you'd be you'd be hanging out in the hallway, sitting yeah. on a sitting on a chair in the hallway for three hours, you know, with the cord stretched as far as you could go, um, yeah. totally comfortable. But that was the only way you could talk and find some sort of privacy by, you know, stretching the cord out as far as you could. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Here's here's perhaps my most um, uh, interesting question. Do you have gay students and do you have transgender students? And if so, Mm -hmm. how do you think their experience is at the Catholic high school in the 21st century? Yeah. So, so my answer to that question is I'm sure we do. Um, When you look at, when you look at, you know, here we are, Jay Sarah, 1300 students, South Orange County, I like to say that we are, I think we are reflective of our surrounding demographic here. Um, And so I think it'd be pretty naive, probably for anybody of of, of running any school of this size of any kind across the country to not think that they don't have students who who have same-sex attraction, identify as, as gay or are having, as we see themselves, we're ch- dealing with transgender um, challenges or ideology, et cetera. So I'm sure that we do. This is my first, my, is my, is my quick answer to that. Um, how, how do, what do we do with, given our, given our Catholic con- cultural context here at the school, mm-hmm. how do we work with these students? Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to, there's a lot to unpack with that here. Um, and I, so I can, I can maybe share some, yeah. maybe some anecdotes and some things along the way that have been some real practical, I would almost call almost all the like white paper experiences that we've had to work our way through mm-hmm. while being, while being faithful to, um, what I would define as the beautiful teachings of our church and the, and I think the really fully integrated vision of what it takes for people to flourish in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and given all the gifts that God has given us, and human sexuality certainly is one of those beautiful gifts that he's given us. Um, and, and to reconcile those things with some teachings of the church and our faith that are really difficult, and especially doing so with teenagers, um, you can only imagine, um, you know, what, you know, the challenges that, that exist. Um, so, so a couple of things. Okay. Let's start with, you know, let's start with the fact that do we have gay or students um, that would identify as transgender on our campus? I'm sure, yes, I'm sure that we do. Um, we have made uh, an active decision, though, as a school that we don't have affinity groups on campus. So 
we don't have um, sort of an LGBT or whatever phraseology we'd want to use for groups um, that may exist on other school campuses, public and private, or public and private and even Catholic at other 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 institutions. Um, we don't have those groups on our campus. Um, we you mean as a student club, as a student or club, as a, or as a way to identify oneself. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, nor, frankly, Chris, do we have affinity groups um, which would be codified in some sort of a student club um, student club construct for other affinity groups as well. There's no photography club, sci-fi. Well, there, so there are in terms of interests, uh-huh. right, in terms of activity interests, but there aren't in terms of sort of I would say cultural. Um, ethnicities oh, or, gotcha. or things that things that would go and serve to distinguish and 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 I would say in some ways maybe erode at the unity of the common bond that we right. all share as sons and daughters of God. Right. There's no Greeks or Jews. There's, Correct. Right. Okay. Correct. There's no Black Student Union. There's right. no. There's no. Um, we have a lot. We have about 50 international students on our campus. Right. And but there's no. And many of them move for China. Right. So we have no sort of. Asian Asian club on campus gotcha. example. Yes. Now we have an international program that helps these students fully integrate, and I mean, so there are things that we do to help them, but we don't go and create these these pockets of micro communities based on ethnicity, right? Yeah, or based on a, a, a different dimension of demographic. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And that's so Catholic with a little C, the universal mm-hmm. body of Christ. No Greek, no Jew, no male, no female. Huh. Like it's beautiful. Yeah. Right. So and so and that so we've been very intentional. We've been very intentional about that. And in some ways that has made it a little less challenging when you're talking about some of these kinds of things, because we're not singling out students that are gay or transgender um, and not allowing them not to have expression on campus. We're saying we are all one body here. Mm -hmm. We're all one body in Christ. We're all sons and daughters of of God. God doesn't see race, right? God doesn't see gender. God doesn't mm-hmm. see sexuality. I mean, in some ways he sees those things, but they're not important to him, right? right? He's looking into the souls and the hearts of his children. And and so we are trying during the four-year experience that students have here, constantly come back to that, constantly come back to that, right? right? right. You, um, have, you, have a, you have red hair or you're short or tall. That's how God sees it. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Right. And so... Um, so for so, but that but that doesn't mean we don't have challenges, right? So so, what do you do when you have a student who um, would be would would I maybe mean, be be very overt in in saying, "Hey, I'm gay," um, in this and as an example, and then you're going on a retreat, and all of the you know all the students are are living. Um, you know, we're, the boys are living in one, you know, cabin or dorm or whatever, and the girls are in another, and the students identified themselves as gay, and and now they're are, what challenges? How does that make people uncomfortable if you're now in a, you know, in close quarters living situation? Um, so those are those like that's an example of something that's real and that and that happens, and as a school. Um, we try to work our way through. Or what happens when you're in a theology class and we're talking about human sexuality as God designed mm-hmm. it, and you have a student who is gay? Um, you know, it requires a really soft touch on the part of the school. Um, in fact, about when I when I came out here about eight nine years ago, we had we put, um, over a period of time we wound up um, really uh, we wound up bringing in a number of teachers in our theology department. Um, and many of whom are still with us here, still almost ten years later, um, specifically with this in mind. Like, how how are we hiring, particularly in the realm of theology, um, people who are capable of of demonstrating what and, and teaching clearly and articulately what the truth of the church is, but in a way that is ju- the way that is rooted in charity, 
ultimately. <laughs> and that's and even the best person doing that still um, could have a teenager walk away saying, "Well, I feel offended, or I don't feel loved or accepted." Um, but we are we're kind of trying to bend over backwards to make sure they're always speaking truth first and foremost, but doing so in charity. Mm-hmm. Right. That's very beautiful. And yeah. that's, I, I wish, I wish I saw more of that where, you know, cause I think we, it's very easy to become dogmatic, especially as a teacher. I'm a teacher. It's very easy to say, oh, well, mm-hmm. the way it is. And I, I think your, your gentle, your soft touch, as you say, is we're trying. Is, yeah, we're trying. It was also the correct way to evangelize is mm-hmm. by invitation <laughs> and not by decree. We had a, Chris, it was, it was interesting, um, a few months back at the school, we had one of our teacher and services, and for those who are listening that aren't teachers, <clears throat> so usually in a school, a school cycle throughout the year, you'll have several days where the students aren't on campus, but you'll have the faculty and staff together for professional development and formation. And so we had one of these in-service days, as we call them, and we had actually one of our former uh, theology teachers at the school who went on and got her marriage and family um, therapist license and then subsequently has moved um, out of state. Um, we brought her back to speak to our um, faculty on, on the issue of how, how are we dealing with um, students who may be um, struggling with gender identity or experiencing gender dysphoria? Or what do you do when a student comes up to you and, and asks to be addressed by a certain pronoun um, that does not align with um, with their biological sex yeah. or wants to use a different name that is clearly being used um, so that they aren't um, being cast in a certain gender light. Uh, so we, we, we brought this, this, uh, this, this former staff member of ours back to campus and, and she used, um, she used this phrase that I've used a couple of different times now when talking to people that to speak, to speak um, charity, to speak truth without charity is just cruel. Right. Like, so if we're going to, you know, students gay or dealing with transgender issues, say this is wrong or this is a sin or whatever language you want to use. Right. Yeah. And, and and not do it with charity. Well, that's just that's just that's completely and totally unchristian. Right? Yeah. It's, it lacks love. It's just cruel. And then she flips it and she says, however, right. But to speak with charity without truth is a lie. If we really, really love somebody, then and we really have their best interest in mind, then how do we keep the truth from them? Right? How do we not encourage them and, and at least explain to them? And again, it's their free will to choose to accept it. But it's do we do we really love them? Well, I would say, well, I'm not sure we do, or I'm not sure if that love may be misdirected or misguided um, if we aren't sharing the truth with them. Um, so that the, the, those two sort of uh, companion statements have really have really stuck with me over the last over the last several months. Yeah, well, I th- it's a very beautiful answer to a, um, you know, kind of a razor's edge sort of, sort of uh, question. Are there other cultural topics that you have had to grapple with that are difficult and thorny for you as a, as both a devout Catholic and also as a leader of education in California in 2023? What what are some things that have been particularly difficult? Yeah, I I mean, there are, so there are some. I mean, we've had our we've had our we've had our challenges in. And I'm thinking through a few things. I mean, for example, every every four years during an election cycle, it can always be challenging because, mm-hmm. um, you know, the certain political motives will be ascribed to the school from outsiders looking in, um, and and as a school, we'll always say, listen, the school isn't. We're not. We're not. And at least in America, right? We're not a Republican school, or we're not a Democratic school, right? We're we're J. Sarah Catholic High School, and we will continue to espouse and only speak um, publicly on things that, when we feel the need to speak publicly, that have a certain moral content um, that fall within the purview of how we express our Catholic faith, right? But too often, 
when, even when we do that, um, sometimes motives can be ascribed. Well, you're getting political, and we'll say, well, no, we're, we're not. We're not getting political. We're just speaking certain truths of our faith, and we're not speaking about backing candidates or talking about telling people how to vote per se. Mm-hmm. But we're just emphasizing. Um, we're just emphasizing certain key critical points, moral tenets of our faith, and and allowing people to make the choices from there. The challenge, of course, right in our culture, and obviously you think about abortion as being the, you know, as being sort of always that 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 single point of that's that single flashpoint is that you know a, that that particular issue always seems to be the issue that becomes politicized and is a Republican or Democrat issue. Um, but for, again, from a Catholic perspective, this is this is. This isn't a political issue. This is a moral issue. Yeah. So that, like, that's an example of something as a school because we, you know, we see that very. We believe, at least, the J. Sarah expression of our Catholic faith, uh, right, is that those are those are very clear principles that 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 we uphold and 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 are and are proud to uphold in terms of the sanctity of life. Mm-hmm. And I find that it's good for Catholics to say, yes, we oppose abortion and we oppose the death penalty <laughs> because that, that straddles the political divide in the secular, yes. you know, red yeah. and blue sort of thing. Yeah. In fact, we, and, and, and some of the other thorny challenges that we've had too, really revolve in, and particularly in the state of California, Chris, where um, is, is employment law, right? When you're going through, and I've been here for 10 years now, and we're, we're always we're always trying to be unequivocally clear about who we are as a school and what do we stand for. Um, a number of years back, it's probably about four or five years ago now, we, we put together, and it's on our website, uh, what we call our statement of Catholic morality. Um, and this was an effort to be crystal clear for people. And we touch on, 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 on a few different, I would say, hot button issues. Um, but we, but we talk about them in a positive way, right? We talk about the sanctity of life. We talk about the sanctity of marriage. We talk about the sanctity of God's creation and man being created male and female. Um, that, that we found that's so important for us to keep doing and, and do that in every way, shape, or form, whether it's on our you know, applications to apply for a job at Chase Sarah or it's on our um, f- uh, family enrollment contracts. Mm-hmm. It's on our website. It's it, our, our handbooks at the school for parents and students and employees. It's... It's just we've we've continued to be coached from people who support um, or do a lot of advocacy for religious liberty issues that the clearer that you are as a school or any organization for that matter about what you stand for, the easier it will be for you to hold the line Mm -hmm. and set a certain bar of expectation for everybody that's in your community um, when you might need to make hard decisions. Um, so that's also been when you think about challenging issues that we've dealt with. It's 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 those kinds of issues, yeah. right? It's trying to be proactive and just communicate at every step of the way. This is who we are, and we're not all things to all people, and and we're not telling you or sitting in judgment of you um, for decisions you may make in, mm-hmm. in your life, from your personal sphere or beliefs that you hold. Um, but we're just saying like there's a certain expectation of what that looks like at J. Sarah. That's so wise. And let's just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And mm-hmm. we can do that in our personal relationships as we're chatting with our neighbors and uh, friends and coworkers. I, you know, I, I, I think I disagree with what you just said, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to love you or be your friend. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's led to, and Chris, it's interesting, that's led to, and that's led to conversations with families, right? Yeah. So we've had, conver- we've had, you brought up the, the questions about gay and transgender students. So we've had conversations with families who said, my son or my daughter is gay. And we've said, well, listen, here, by, by all stretching, by all, 
everything that we will look at, there's no reason why we wouldn't accept your son or your daughter to our school, but we just need to be very clear about this is what your son or your daughter will be hearing and learning in our theology classes. And we've had some students and families say, great, I, I, I understand. I can respect that. Yeah. Or we've had some families come in and say, well, okay, and wake up a year or two years later and say, gosh, this just, I'm not, I'm not comfortable in this environment. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and we'll self-select and choose to leave. And, and that's okay too. Right. Um, what's not okay for us is starting to sort of play with those lines of what we believe in sort of out of a faux charity or desire to make everybody feel that every vantage point and every opinion has validity within our context as a Catholic school. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes excellent sense. Are there are there um, are there places where you have changed your mind about topics, either you personally or you as a school, where you started off one way twenty years ago and then you said like actually our views on this are evolving? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say not. I mean, certainly not with respect to not with respect to issues of faith or morals or how those are taught uh, or made manifest in the school and our curriculum and our classrooms. Um, but I would say with with respect to sometimes the nuances of how we as a school communicate action or communicate decisions um, with with students, with parents that we are taking. So I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. This was probably about maybe, maybe six or seven years ago now. We had a student on campus um, during her senior year where probably maybe right around October, November, she, she became pregnant. Mm-hmm. And this was the first situation like this that the school had had experienced. And again, I've been here for 10 years. So we hadn't dealt with this at the school since I'd come. And, and at that time when I came to the school, we're still a pretty young school. So this was one of those, one of these sort of first, let's put our heads together and think how we're going to respond. And, and I remember sitting with our leadership team talking about this and, initially being on one side of this issue of how we're going to deal with this. And, and quite frankly, it was, it, it may be best for the student to leave J Sarah. Right. And again, I'm kind of putting all, putting all the cards on the table here, Yeah, yeah. And, but as we spent, we really spent about a good month um, thinking through, okay, what are, what are we going to do? What are we communicating by our decisions and how are we using this experience to help form our students and our families with what do you do when things happen in the world, mm-hmm. right? Um, in re- real life circumstances. And as an example, in this particular case, after really spending a lot of time thinking through this, um, we want to putting some policies and, and practices into place. And, you know, in, the, in, our, in this particular case, for example, if, if a student should find themselves pregnant on our campus while a student is J. Sarah, um, that has no determination or impact on their ability to remain a student at J. Sarah. Um, and in fact, um, in some ways, it can, give, it can give a difficult but still positive witness to the sanctity of life um, and, and edify and support a young woman in making what today, sadly, is becoming a more and more difficult choice for young women to make who find themselves in this spot. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of an affirmation of life, an affirmation of our, of our pro-life community here at the school. Um, but we also had to work through the, the, the nuts and bolts of, okay, but that still may mean that there are certain things that this young woman won't be able to participate in. Um, because of our safety, because of physical limitations, um, and so we we develop some policies and practices around around that. But that that's an example, right? Yeah, of that's a something great point. like a real a real world. Wow, what are we going yeah. to do? Does this set bad precedent? If you know, we woke up and we had 
eight young women of 1,300 students on our campus walking around pregnant. Um, what, what does that do to our image? What does that do to you know, what we say we stand for, et cetera? But at the end of the day, as we worked our way through it, um, we felt, well, no. Like, these you know, s- students, just like adults, um, make mistakes, but let's, not, let's, let's contribute to a scenario that helps this young woman, what we would hope make really good decisions from this point going forward. Yeah, that's a perfect um, example. As an example of something that we've we've grappled with. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. So those, um, oh, I have one more. Well, those are really all my uh, questions, but I wanted to ask you what's your favorite thing about your job, and I also want you to tell us the rest of your funny story. <laughs> oh, <laughs> favorite, thing, favorite thing about my job? You know, I would say probably maybe a couple of things come to mind. One is I, I really do enjoy being around, uh, being around high school students. Um, and, and I, and I've, during the, I taught high school for about eight or nine years. And then I ran a school in Chicago about six and I've been here for 10. So if you add all those years up, we're, we're coming up close to about 25 years. Um, the times that I've had, the times that I have been the hungriest for joy in my work is when I get the most distant from students on campus. Um, and even this year I jumped in and I'm teaching a, I'm teaching a one single section of Spanish this year to freshmen. And, and it, admittedly, it's a bit of a challenge. It's yeah. <laughs> my role. I'm, you know, we got, we got some big things we're trying to do at school and then there'll be times I find myself on, you know, gr- grading conjugations of, of right. the present tense uh, <laughs> for entry level Spanish students. I'm thinking, okay, gosh, is this the best use of my time? Yeah. Um, but I gotta be honest with you, it also fills my heart, right? It's just it's it's just having that in class relationship with students or getting to know students at a real personal level. Um, and 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 just to see all of the all of the all of the life that is still in front of them to unfold and they not they don't realize it, but mm-hmm. you as a parent, you as an adult can see, wow, there's so much so many ways that you can continue to grow and flourish and play a small part of that and have that personal relationship with students, um, even being in a school leader role where you're more detached from that than if you are in the classroom. Um, I still find a lot of joy in that, right? It just gives me a lot of, gives me a lot of joy, especially this age too, because they can still be funny mm-hmm. and, and, but they can do really, really amazing things. Um, you know, can be really accomplished in a lot of these areas and have so much talent, uh, and so much potential that it's, it's, yeah, it's just really exciting to be around them. Yeah. Um, that would, that would be one thing. And two, I just, I really enjoy being with parents. Um, I just, I really enjoy, um, trying to help families and create a school culture that helps families create a culture where their children can really flourish, not just at school, but in life. And I think the more that I'm around education and the more I see my own children develop, you realize that, that the most important dimension for kids to be, to, to go from boys and girls to be men and women who are ready to be fully alive and flourishing in this world and have their head on straight and, 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 and a core set of virtues and, and, and a deeply rooted belief in God and a firm identity as a son and daughter of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, a school plays an important, can play an important part in that role, but the family culture is going to do all of that heavy lifting. For sure. Yeah. And so a school can only go so far right? To, to serve as an antidote to an absent family culture. Yeah. Um, so when I, I say I really enjoy being with parents, because I, because I, I feel like that's where you really can make a big difference, right? In the lives of these kids too. It's a really good point. I don't, I don't often think of it that way, but you're, you're right. All right. Tell us, the, tell us what you did with the brick wall. Oh, all right. So as we kind of bring things to a close, so, so we say to this, we say to the kids, say to the boys, Hey guys, just, I don't even know how this happens, but you just need to make this right. So I call the, the the head of the girls' school on the other side of campus. Says, "Okay, um, we've got the guys are getting more after school today. 
just tell them what they need to do. They're going to make this right. So the, 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 how the story went is, uh, is during the day, the head of school, of the girls' school, she needed to figure something out. And they, there was some construction crews building some houses nearby. So actually, they came over and demolished the, the brick wall. Oh, wow. Um, moved all the debris themselves. So by the time the boys got over, uh, this this woman, Mary, just said to the boys, hey, boys, listen, I had to go take care of this myself, but I had to pay these construction guys off on their off hours about 350 bucks um, to go. And so I just, I need 350 bucks. Like that's the restitution I need to make the school whole. So I said, okay. So they came back. The boys told me the story and what happened. They said they're going to take care of things. So the next day, um, I get a picture emailed to me from the, the the head of the girls' school. She's like, Rich, consider the debt resolved. We're all good. It was a curious method, though, of of restitution. And the picture she sent me was a bunch of clearly boy or male hands holding a big hefty garbage bag full of pennies. Oh wow! <laughs> so they dropped off at her doorstep. Right, three hundred oh, no. worth of pennies, um, <laughs> and she took it tongue in cheek. Thirty-five thousand pennies. Right, so I'm looking here on my on my office wall. I have this picture hanging in its frame, just to remind me of the, you know, the spirit, right, of these guys from whatever class it was 15 years ago, which I'm sure they're out and doing great things in the and great things in the world. Yeah, that's gorgeous. Uh, would you please uh, mind closing us with a with a blessing for our for our listeners? I'd be happy to. Uh, in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, dear Lord, we're we're so very grateful for the time we had to, uh, to spend chatting this morning, and we thank you for the listeners that uh, that have tuned into this. We ask that you can help all of us continue to move personally, move up that inclined plane toward uh, personal holiness. Um, help bring us the graces that we need to do that uh, to mend our lives in ways that may not conform entirely with the vision that your Son has for us to uh, flourish uh, perfectly here in this world. Um, and we ask that you can continue to bring um, many grace and fruits to, to Chris that will come from future podcasts that he does that can reach the hearts and, and the souls of, of, of many, many people. And we ask this through your son's most precious name. Amen. Amen. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you. And hail, hail the word made flesh, the the son of Mary. Chris Odinitz and Rich Meyer recorded this conversation on Monday, February 13th, 2023. It was the feast day of St. Catherine de Ricci, a Dominican tertiary mystic in the 16th century who received visions and ecstasies and was a friend of St. Philip Mary, writing to him often and once appearing to him while physically hundreds of miles away. Our music is from Josh and Margot, of the Great Space Coaster Band, and their website is www.gscoasterband.com. Our logo, the image of the Dominican dog, God's dog, Dominicanis, bearing the torch in his mouth that will set the world aflame, comes from a stained glass window at the Monastery of Santo Domingo de Silos in Spain, and is taken with the kind permission of the Dominican friars of England, Scotland, and Wales from their website, www.english.op.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and I'll talk to you next week. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds God and angels sing.